For more information on Ancient Dragon Zen Gate, please visit our website at www.ancientdragon.org. Our teachings are offered to the community through the generosity of our supporters. To make a donation online, please visit our website. And wondrous Dharma is met with, even in a hundred thousand million kalpas, having it to see and listen to, to remember and accept. I vow to taste the truth of the Tathagata's word. Good morning, Bodhisattva. Uh, this is only my second time doing Zazen in this space, and uh, it's my first talk here. And I'll probably make some mistakes. <laughs> so uh, we'll just rely on others to pitch in and, and uh, help us all along. You know, I feel like we've all been pushed into beginner's mind with uh, COVID, etc. I had no idea how comfortable I was <laughs> until all of this happened. So uh, our habits are challenged by these kinds of things. Um, I just want to be sure, can everybody hear me? Great. If, if at any time I trail off, just about me. Um, it's, it's really good to see you all um, in person and, and people on Zoom. I can't see right now, <laughs> but I guess I'll be able to see you when it comes time for questions. Um, you know, it's this dark time of year, and we're all kind of waiting for the for the moment, moment that the daylight starts uh, increasing again. <clears throat> and a, a few friends have told me that um, this darkness, combined with the uh, situation in the world, is starting to get to them. So my goal today for this talk is to, is to have a hopeful message and uh, focus on some good things and some really good people. So... Uh, I, I recently realized I've been practicing Zazen for 25 years, and uh, I've been thinking about that. I was I was a late starter, but um, but I've kept at it, and uh, I've always considered myself to be a Zen student. Um, I've I've never been a, a Zen scholar, uh, you know, studying the sutras and the academic literature. But I do feel as if um, I've, I've always I've been learning and growing through these 25 years, and to me that's what keeps the practice uh, fresh and and valuable. So, I, and I always appreciate talks by uh, other practitioners who are sharing experiences in their life. I am an experiential learner. <laughs> So when I was new to Buddhism, I was completely absorbed in zazen and chanting and learning the forms. And I loved cleaning the zendo. That's my kind of practice. Um, I found the teachings to be beautiful, but um, a little difficult to relate to. Uh, so for me, uh, I just I just wanted to see how Zen practice would fit into a life. <clears throat> so see in action. So so what I did is I read a lot of memoirs and journals and uh, biographies of um, contemporary Buddhists and especially American Zen practitioners. Um, what I was really hungry for was um, personal accounts of people who had taken this path. I want to hear a lot of different voices, and I was looking for experiences that, that I could relate to. So I was interested in how the great contemporary Western teachers like Robert Aitken and Philip Kaplow had, had found their way. 
But but even more than that, as as interested in non-famous people, you know, people who had other vocations and had incorporated Zen practice into into their lives in a meaningful way. So I I, I read everything I could find, and uh, and I think it was helpful. I absolutely devoured Crooked Cucumber, which um, most of you probably know is the life story of Suzuki Roshi, as written by uh, David Chadwick who was one of his students. In the, so in this book, we read about little Shinryu being absent-minded and forgetful and how hard he had to work on his problems. And so, you know, reading those stories about his struggles made him more human. They endeared him to me and, and also more admirable. So David Chadwick is fine writer. He, he wrote a uh, brilliant and absolutely hilarious uh, account of his own year studying in Japan. It's called uh, Thank You and Okay, An American Zen Failure in Japan. And it's 458 pages, but it's a real page turner. And uh, it's probably a must read for any American who's considering going to Japan for practice. Um, and, there, and I found a lot of books in that genre, Americans going to Asia to practice. They're, they're not all of them uh, so great. Uh, Nine-Headed Dragon River is uh, writer and naturalist Peter Matheson's book about his Buddhist practice. And uh, Chadwick panned it. He said, this quote, a beautifully written account of a selfish man of privileges, globe-trotting quest for spiritual fulfillment. Ouch. Anyway, um, Ambivalent Zen by uh, Larry Shainberg with a little difference, like an entertaining account of a uh, sincere uh, practitioner who, who really struggled with his ambivalence. Um, but he persisted through his whole life in his, his uh on and off practice. He found good teachers, he found bad teachers. And as a reader, you're never quite sure if he's gonna uh, give it all up. So there's, there's a lot to identify with in that book. And, uh, and I love Bill Porter's book, Road to Heaven, Encounters with Chinese Hermits, where he um, goes to remote mountains in China and searches for and interviews uh, isolated mountain monks. And it was really kind of radical and subversive thing to do. He did it the same year as the Tiananmen Square uprising and when religion was outlawed in China and, and that law was, was enforced. So, uh, but um, Red Pine, which is the other name for Bill Porter, um, wanted to learn about the lives of these, these men and women who had chosen to live in such extreme conditions. And he wanted to learn about it from their own mouths. <laughs> and so did I. So um, there, there are many more books, but the last one I'm going to mention is the biography of, of poet and Zen teacher Philip Whalen, which is called Crowded by Beauty, written by David Schneider. And uh, I thought this book was a goldmine because it talked about, it had great intimate stories of, of Whalen's relationships with Gary Snyder, Allen Ginsberg, Jack Kerouac, and, and more. All these people that I, I really wanted to get a feel for personally. I wanted to know them personally. So I learned a lot about Zen practice by reading these stories. And so, you know, I, I guess I can recommend it, but um, if it works for you. Uh, 25 years later, um, I'm still doing something similar, but not in books. Um, I'm looking at all the people around me and noticing that there are many, many people carrying out their lives in, in ways that, um, that I can learn from, in ways that I admire. And I'm going to call these people bodhisattvas, even though um, many of them are not, um, are not Buddhists. So for new people here, so a bodhisattva is 
literally translated as enlightenment being. It is, this is the ideal of Mahayana Buddhism. So uh, a bodhisattva is someone we would look to as the ideal way to, to be in this life, to, to, um, to use this life, this precious life. So it's not a god or a deity. <clears throat> it's really something we can all aspire to. And, um, you know, we can consciously choose to do that. And in our practice, we actually publicly declare <laughs> that we will do that when we recite the, the, the Bodhisattva vows, which is basically a commitment to put other people ahead of ourselves, other beings ahead of ourselves. So we'll recite the four vows at the end uh, of the talk today. Um, we, we recite them at the end of all of our sittings. They're, they're daunting, to say the least. <laughs> you could say they're exciting. Um, beings are numberless. I vow to free them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. The Buddha way is unsurpassable. I vow to realize it. When I first heard those vows, I told my then teacher, um, the teacher had then, I don't think I can say these with a straight face. They, I just, um, I, they are, they're completely unattainable. And basically he just said, just keep saying them and eventually you'll understand why you're saying that. So I did, and that turned out to be really good advice. And I've gotten that kind of advice from other teachers along the road. If you don't understand it, just keep doing it, and eventually you'll you might, um, catch on. So Ty has been talking about the precepts recently, and uh, sometimes they're called the Bodhisattva precepts. And th those are Buddhist guidelines for ethical conduct. <clears throat> there's nothing too surprising in the precepts. They're, you know, they're um guidelines pretty similar to guidelines to other religions um I'll, I'll i'll quote my one of my favorite filmmakers the, the 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 precepts tell us to do the right thing basically respect life be honest be generous um do good don't do evil um maybe it sounds easy it's not always it's not always so easy but um you know, despite all my earnest efforts, I, I break the precepts more often than I wish I did. But I think bodhisattvas go beyond following the precepts. I think they put their creativity and imagination into figuring out ways to, to live their lives in a way that does good. Which sounds great, but what does that mean? Um, so, you know, at the beginning I said, oh, the teachings I thought were too theoretical. So what does it mean in practice? So I, I thought I'd give you two examples of, of bodhisattvas um, and uh, that I find uh, are Larry Gordon. Um, his name is on the altar and we'll have a memorial service for him uh, later this morning. <clears throat> and Kaz Tanahashi, who's very much alive, and uh, he's been a, a visiting teacher at uh, Ancient Dragon in the past. Um, and I think both of these men have devoted their lives to making the world a better place. And, uh, and both of them uh, just inspire me to be the best human I possibly can in my time in this life. So by demonstrating um, how to use how to use this life. I mean, they stretch my imagination. So uh, let me tell you a little bit about Larry Gordon. That's not a household name, um, but he was an important influence on many, many people, including me. And uh, I discovered recently also to uh, song member Brian Taylor. I don't know if he's on Zoom. I hope so. Brian knew him when he was in college. 
So Larry was 76 uh, when he died November 9th. Uh, he had a stroke while he was riding his bicycle in Vermont, where he lives, where he lived. So it was very shocking because uh, it was unexpected. He hadn't been ill or anything. It was just, in fact, I was to go to a workshop of his next summer in, in Oregon that had been announced. Um, and there was a way it caused this huge traffic jam, which isn't really common in Marshfield, Vermont. <laughs> Someone said it reminded them of the, the road on the endless cars back up forever. And he wasn't a Buddhist. He was a singer, a dancer, a teacher, and he was a powerful force for uh, peace and justice. And he was a, a community builder. Music was the major tool in his uh, bodhisattva toolbox. He knew, uh, others know, uh, that music had the power to move people, change people, and change. He was credited with the revival of shape note music in, uh, in New England. And um, you may or may not be familiar with shape note music. It's a cappella four-part harmony, uh, explicitly Christian. And uh, Larry wasn't religious at all, but he loved good music, and a lot of religious music is transcendently beautiful. So I had, a, I had the privilege of, of singing in a performance of uh, that he conducted which was way above my pay grade, as they say. But uh, it was hard to resist the challenge of, um, as it felt like, connecting directly with Mozart. Anyway, music is a mystery. Um, Oliver Sacks says, music can pierce the heart directly. It needs no mediation. I've, I've tried to write Dharma talks about music many times and I never can quite find the words for it. I feel like I should just come in, we should all sing, and then that would be the Dharma talk. I figured out how to do it. Anyway, I Larry through Village Harmony, which uh, was an organization he founded in 1989. And initially it was a program for teens, mostly teens that were in trouble in some way. And um, it, it taught them uh, to sing in choral music and to perform it. And uh, created after he died, there were just hundreds of testimonials of these kids. <clears throat> anyway. Um, they immense force for good. So anyway, the, the camps expanded to uh, include adults served by popular demand, and uh, thousands of people have have participated. The camps are kind of like singing sessions. It's com complete immersion. You know, you sing in the morning, you have lunch, you sing in the afternoon, you have dinner, you sing in the evening, then you dance and, you know, play your instruments in between. But uh, Village Harmony students travel all over the world to uh, learn music and spread peace and joy and healing. I went on a Bosnia trip um, and we learned Bosnian folk music from local people who had really been through um, a tremendously painful experience. We, we sang, we danced with them, we ate with them, we walked through the cemetery with them, where all the headstones had the same death date, and uh, and we were all changed by that experience. So, so on that Facebook page I mentioned, my favorite tribute to, to Larry says. Larry firmly established music as a safe haven when the world is falling apart from war and injustice, pandemic, growing fascism, and climate change. Established music as a safe haven. 
but a fine thing to do. So Kazuaki Tanahashi, I'm going to call him Kazuaki <laughs> is my second Bodhisattva hero, a truly amazing person. The Japanese teacher, poet, painter, editor, author. Uh, we had several of his paintings in our Zendo and Irving Park Road. And uh, he was in Chicago recently for a performance with the Coast Coast Ensemble at the, at the Newberry Library. So I braved COVID and attended that concert in person, and I'm so glad I did. Um, I've never really experienced anything like it before. It included original music and a libretto. Then uh, a book he had written. He's written many books, but this book is called "Painting Peace: Art in a Time of Global Crisis." <clears throat> and um, in the in the introduction to that book, he he, he says that his intention in writing that book and doing this performance is, quote, large-scale social, social transformation and to reverse the direction of the human race toward collective suicide. So he thinks very big. <laughs> uh, he says he wrote the book to inspire artists to use art for peace and environmental work, and, and so that performance was, was his way of doing it. And the libretto uh, was written from selections from the book. So uh, it was uh, written by a woman named Doreen Rao, and she wove together quotes from Dogen, poetry by cause, other poetry, autobiographical stories, like one about his military father, the Agnus Dei section of the Catholic Mass, causes reflection and remorse about the Japanese atrocities in Nanjing, China, the story of Daniel Ellsberg's heroism in the Vietnam War, and, and more. Anyway, so the music um, by a woman named Andrea Clearfield is scored for vocal quartet. They were amazing. And then percussion and uh, shakuhachi, Japanese flute. So there's... Um, there's a CD of that if anybody's interested. Um, and then during the performance, Kaz painted four different paintings right before our eyes, and each one had a different uh, color palette. And, um, you know, we're intended to um, different emotional responses. So green was hope. For the future, blue was commitment, orange was energy, and red was passion. And the program said these were a full rainbow where we can find wholeness and a circle of peace. And then at the end, all of us in the room were given candles and uh, instructed how to sing along with the performance. And it was a stunning experience. I'm not remotely doing it just... Um, it had um, a palpable effect on me and, um, and has stayed with me. And um, basically, I wasn't able to stop thinking about peace in the natural world and the role of artists and all people in making the change we need. So I am going to end reading a piece of the final poem in the performance. Um, this poem is called A Time for Love. You have a brush. I have a brush. A formless brush. Paint before it is too late. You have a voice. I have a voice. We have a voice of endless possibilities. Sing, sing, sing before it is too late. This is our time. This is the time you and I share. A decade ago, now, a decade in the future. Time for love. My paintings, your songs. These are only a speck 
of the millions. It's a countless paintings and sums that make a difference in the world. This is the time you and I share. 100 years ago, now, 100 years in the future. Time for making of art takes many forms. You have the power to change things. Awaken to the miracle of this moment. This is our time, shaping our time. This is the time you and I share 1,000 years ago. Now, 1,000 years in the future. Time for vision, time for reflections, time for action, time for love. Now, Larry and Cause are exceptional, but um, Bodhisattvas are everywhere, including in this room. And uh, last Wednesday night, I attended an event in the Forest Preserves. It was called, uh, it was an award ceremony. It was called Force for Nature. And 10 different people got these awards that called it, that awarded them the title of being a force for nature. And uh, people who had done volunteer work in the natural areas in our region. And the youngest awardee was a high school girl. And the oldest awardee was well into his 80s. And uh, every story just touched my heart. So bodhisattvas are everywhere. That's my talk about bodhisattvas. And uh, I offer it to you with gratitude. And I would love, um, oh good, I get to see people now. Hello. Um, I would love if we had a uh, discussion about anything I said or anything you would like to say. Yes, thank you, Gyoshan. Um, I think it's really great that you've got King David and his sacred harp behind you on the mantelpiece there for, as a visual aid for us. Uh, that picture. That, yes, I that, noticed that. Yeah. Um, I, I just wanted to do uh, say one thing is that it was 50 years ago that I came across the word-of-mouth course at Goddard College, and Larry was the director. I never really knew him, but I would hang out with the chorus and, and attend concerts. And I, he, they turned me on to not only the Sacred Heart music, but the whole field of early American roots music, especially gospel-influenced. And all of the people who have come since then, people like Tom Waits and Buddy Miller and a lot of other people who have been influenced by it, and I just wanted to do one little thing. Let, give me a, a thumbs up or a thumbs down if you can hear this. This is the word of mouth chorus with Larry Gordon from a very old recording. Fainting pangs and bloody sweat. You know, this stuff uh, has got such deep, deep roots, and um, most of the stuff that I have heard of Sacred Harp tends to be a bit insipid, but Larry injected it with this incredible passion, drive, and I, I, it just hooked me. And it's, here it is 50 years later. So thank you, Larry, and thank you to all bodhisattvas who give of themselves in a way that such so profoundly affects people's lives. Thank you, Brian. Kathy. Thank you for your talk, and it's good to see everybody. Um, what you, your talk did was remind me of looking for Bodhisattvas in our life experience. It doesn't have to be within our experience of Buddhism. And I think that's important to keep in mind uh, looking for the people who inspire or speak the truth or 
Thank you, Kathy. Could that be heard? No. No. <laughs> Kathy can maybe speak up. Okay. Okay. Um, I was just thanking you for uh, bringing to the fact that Bodhisattva's experience of Buddhist practice. Um, and to be aware of that and acknowledge that in, in places that we don't really Thank you. <laughs> Michael. Um. Wow. <laughs> okay. the, the poem that you close with uh, has some lines that I remember when I, I had uh, read that book while I was at Tatsahara. And there are some lines, that, the line where he says, you know, my brush is one of uh, a million brushes or something, I'm paraphrasing. But, I just I remember being very moved and touched by that line as a someone of artistic temperament who's very Western and my approach and uh, at least like this is my expression my art that kind of thing and getting really caught up in uh, you know that that I had to do something special and uh, I remember. It just being illustrated so plainly and with a sense of freedom and uh, and an uh, invitation uh, that I felt very welcoming, uh, just the way that he said has in that line, you know, to be uh, it's necessary for there to be so many brushes, you know, and uh, and. I guess that's just it, that, you know, that just a, an invitation to play. Thanks. Was that better? Okay. No. <laughs> oh, dear. The imperfection of, um, of this uh, technology. We have to strive. Yes, Bryant, right? Bryant, yeah. I was reminded it was a very good talk. Thank you. And I think it's a very necessary talk to remind us that, you know, Buddhism has no monopoly on selfless generosity or selflessness at all. Um, and there may be a tendency sometimes to think, oh, that person isn't a bodhisattva because they don't have certain indicators. And like in the Diamond Sutra, anyone who looks for me in signs doesn't see me, uh, the Buddha said. So, so it is um, a good that, um, to be open, I guess, when someone is doesn't have, I guess, the official resume of of Buddhism or, or Christianity or any kind of, and yet it might be, you know, a, a truck driver or gardener or anyone do very selflessly in the moment to help. Um, that right there is, is the benefit, right? Is, is the beneficial action in the world. And, uh, so it's a good, your talk was a good reminder for that, that, that if you're busy looking for signs of bodhisattvahood, you might be missing bodhisattvahood in the person that, you know, held the door open for you or you in some that didn't seem 
like it was grand, transcendent helping, but, uh, you know, I think, as the poem mentioned, you know, a hundred years ago, now, a hundred years in the future, helping's helping, whenever and however it happens. Um, morality, patience, energy, you know, all the parameters, you know, when they are done unthinkingly and spontaneously in the moment without an idea of gaining or an idea of, of helping, it just occurs. I think that, that, you know, that's the beautiful moment. So. Thank you. Hi, Gyoshin. Can, can you hear me? Yeah. Um, can people in the room hear me? Uh, I, I want yeah, just yes. th- thank you for your talk. Uh, thank you for Bryant for what you just said. Um, uh, you know, you mentioned David Chadwick and Kaz Tanahashi. We're both old friends, um, but at, you know, at, as Bryant was indicating. What you're talking about, Gyoshin, about bodhisattvas in the world, not necessarily <laughs> famous or renowned or, you know, designated, um, you know, are everywhere, um, including, you know, here on Zoom and, and there in Ebenezer. Um, so, uh, but yeah, it's it's good to um, notice um, people who are giving... Uh, of themselves for, uh, you know, to benefit all, um, you know, as we say in the Metta Sutta, may all beings be happy, and there are particular ways of doing it. Um, so, um, you know, Paul Disco's here on on uh, Zoom, and he does this through his carpentry and, and building work, and architecture and and there are many examples of people in there at Ebenezer who are also doing so this is uh you know our inspiration to keep going i'll just mention that yesterday i went to a talk on zoom by joanna macy can people in the room still hear me yes uh so uh joanna macy's another one of these people who's uh inspired many people and um she was uh, she was just luminous. She's in her mid nineties, uh, but she's still doing the work and talking about how this is a time of great unraveling, and we all kind of know this that um, you know in our society, in our culture, and in uh, all of the uh, acrimony and in, in, in different tribes, as it were, in, in this country and. Um, and in the oppression of, of particular peoples, it's, you know, we, we see uh, how our culture is unraveling. And, of course, our climate is unraveling. And, and uh, anyway, many, many aspects of this. But also, she pointed out how um, this is uh, a time when all of us in our own particular way, not necessarily as a you know, a noted person like David Chadwick or Kastanahashi, uh, you know, can help and that everything we do helps. And she said um, that this is the best time to be a bodhisattva and that bodhisattvas in other world systems, you know, whatever that means, uh, however you imagine that, are standing in line waiting to get born into this, this earth at this time, just waiting, wanting to get born here, because this is the time when whatever we do to help makes a big difference. So I'll just, I'm just offering that as another uh, aspect of, uh, you know, our bodhisattva work that, you know, uh, can offer hope and, and help and uh, in various ways. Uh, so anyway, thank you for your talk, Yoshin. 
very much. I wonder if all those bodhisattvas are lining up to be human or some butterflies <laughs> or birds or something. <laughs> Interesting idea. Other comments? Okay. After service. After service. Yeah. Okay. I've heard several different suggestions, but we'll do it after service. So, uh, I shall we do the four vows? The, the the reason I'm hesitating is that Doan has left Tokyo. I bow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless. I bow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. I bow to realize it. Beings are numberless. I bow to free them. Are inexhaustible. I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. I vow to realize it. Beings are numberless. I vow to free them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is inexhaustible. I vow to realize it. And now I think we'll all stand for service.
great teacher Mahaprajapati, our first ancestor in China, great teacher Bodhidharma, our first ancestor in Japan, great teacher A.A. Dogen, our first ancestor in America, great teacher Shogaku Shinryu, the perfect wisdom Bodhisattva, Manju Shri. May all the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas extend their compassion to the benefit and well-being of all sentient beings and to our great abiding friend, Larry Gordon. May he find his true place in Buddha's way. All Buddhas throughout space and time, all honored ones, Bodhisattvas, Mahasattvas, wisdom beyond wisdom, Mahaprajna Paramita.